The title of this evening's Dharma talk is Picnicking and Schmoozing. Actually, picking and choosing. Very interesting topic. Comes out of what is it, Sandakai? Sense and Maine. That's, that's true. Thank you. <clears throat> picking and choosing, I think in there it says picking and choosing is the disease of the mind, which means I like it, I don't like it, on and on and on and constantly. <clears throat> entering into some kind of a of a uh, uh, desire or three poisons based interaction with the this doesn't mean you can't make you can't pick something out or choose something of course you can <clears throat> hope that goes away <clears throat> Still, it seems to be necessary to be aware that you're you're actually comparing and selecting a situation. So it's a, the awareness about that. I would uh, talk about that a little bit differently than it does in the sense in Ming or the heart mind of Sosan uh, by saying that uh, that I think it's the awareness of that rather than going in and trying not to do that. Uh, I don't know if there's a commentary that. Uh, brings that up or talks about it in that way, but quite often teachings are about don't do this, do that. And I, I do the same thing. I say, don't add. But when I say don't add, I know you can't help but add. Anything that happens, we, what do we do? We think, well, I like that, or I don't like that, or who cares? Those are the three poisons. Any comment at all, any adding or subtracting tends to cause the circularity of the mind that at the present moment, Maybe totally comfortable, maybe fine. What's happening is, you know, go, going along, feels smooth. But that, that, the repetition of that when something does get uh, difficult, traumatic, uh, challenging, or abrasive, or, or threatening, uh, we tend to the same polarity of the same, oh, excuse me, uh, circularity continues to bring up more and more issues. <clears throat> more problems to just basically makes the situation worse. It's interesting that if something arises that you feel like you have to make a, cho uh, make a choice about or, or pick this over that, it's interesting that when that arises, the, the ego mind, the self-centered mind, the narcissistic mind uh, wants, doesn't want to wait. It doesn't have, what we call patience, it wants to, let's settle the matter, let's get in, this is what we need, I don't need that, I need this. Or if we can't make a decision because of some kind of fear of being wrong uh, or some other kind of structure, hope to be right, um, we go back and forth, oh, no, I don't know what you, I don't know what to do, I gotta figure this out, I gotta figure this out, which is more, we back away from the circularity of the decision back into the circularity of trying to figure it out, which is highly stylized and uh, it's ignorance. <coughs> Pardon my throat clearing. So in this situation, as I've said so many times, it's about bringing your awareness of whatever's arising. Be aware of that. 
whatever is happening, positive, negative, neutral, painful, pleasurable, or uh, ho-hum. The idea is not to necessarily uh, fasten on or gain uh, credit or gain uh, blame or praise or anything from anything that's happening, but rather to see the space in which it occurs. Because the the space in which it occurs uh, is the uh, the very nature uh, of uh, your, uh, the very quality of your fundamental nature, which is your Buddha nature or your awakened nature. And that is not something you have to look for, search for. Simply put, it's just a matter of not stop kicking up dust. And how do you do that? Notice that what you have been ignoring may be kicking up dust. So bring your awareness. Whatever happens, I just said to someone earlier in an an interview that uh, treat everything as a teaching rather than object to this and agree with that, picking and choosing, picking. This is a nice thing. That was a bad thing. Treat everything as a teaching. Something goes to turns to crap. Insofar as you can, you, you could even say to, to yourself, look, look at I, this is painful. I don't like it. This shouldn't have happened. They shouldn't have treated me this way. Uh, how can, what's a deeper understanding of what just occurred? You could actually go into it that way. <coughs> William will come along and and remove all the throat clearing. And is it William? <laughs> no, it's Gilbert. I was saying we're down. Oh, we're down. Well, then let's take a nap. Well, maybe she's going. Gilbert is doing. She probably would like that. So, anybody know why things go down? Go ahead. Question. Question from Benjamin. Will they be able to hear the don't know? Okay. Looks like it. Okay. Again. Go ahead. What about when tangled up? Difficult and hard to deal with, but trying to push on it tends to make it worse. Insofar as you can, uh, um, just just be with that. And without, excuse me, without spending a lot of time practicing, exercising the mind that wants to go elsewhere, the ego mind, without spending a lot of time sitting down, holding still, facing the wall, and watching the way you keep objecting to things, to watch the way the mind does not like to just be here. It wants something else. Always wants something else, something better, something higher, something <clears throat> more fun. So if you're practicing uh, stretching that awareness or uh, prioritizing that awareness, then what arises in the awareness, uh, uh, no matter how crappy it may be, or you know, labeling it depression or whatever it may be, there is more of a chance, not easy, and there's no guarantee that you'll be able to, to be with that situation. And because your mind fundamentally, as it says, as it said uh, in other places, other than what I'm saying, your, your mind fundamentally wants to, to clear itself up. And as it uh, as it's trying to do that, we get in the way the self-centeredness, the seventh consciousness, uh, as the yoga chart teaching has it, of the eight consciousness, the seventh of the ego mind, the klesha mind, the confused mind, that aspect of consciousness that that is paranoid. <clears throat> Shrinks down into a me feeling that that is worried about some things and is all about getting after other things and grabbing things 
or shutting off things that are disturbing or extra or unimportant. But it's none of my business kind of thing. So you could start, I would have to talk to a person face-to-face about it, uh, what's happening. But uh, if you're feeling something that we call depression, uh, you could start by, if you have a, a one awareness practice to this person who's asking, uh, you could start by just take the, the very label that you're giving your emotions and pull a label away and see what's behind it. What is it that you're calling depression? And the way you do that is to literally, especially if you have a visual sense or um, or a tactile sense or whatever sense works the best, use some kind of a metaphor to set that aside temporarily so you can see what's it describing? What is the depression? What is the actual texture feeling um, behind that feeling that we're calling depression? Because as soon as you name something, you stop looking at it to some extent. Maybe not totally. Question over here. In the sense, I mean, when it says picking and choosing is the disease of the mind, what would the cure be? Stillness, silence. Do nothing. This is what this is what the sitting practice of meditation is about. Sit down, do nothing. It's a it's a highly stylized form of sit symmetrical, do something. Hold hold still, do something. Uh, don't add. I guess you could say do something. Don't subtract. Don't do. I do no math. Do no. Don't meddle with your mind at all. Just watch what happens. You could call it objectivity, maybe. Or you could call it subjectivity. You could call it depression. But whatever you call it, it's always a name about something else. There's no way you can name something. And even Buddha nature is just a name for something that is uh, ineffable. that cannot be named, found. If you can discover it, it's relative truth. Maybe a high level of that, but it's still relative. The ultimate nature, nature cannot be experienced. And it cannot be found. Uh, and the reason it can't be found is you're not separate from it. You can't find something you already are. Yes. Are Buddha nature and emptiness pointing to different things? <clears throat> Buddha nature is more of a of a uh, a quality of uh, we're talking about the Buddha. We're talking about uh, the, the, the word Buddha immediately talks about uh, brings up the image of the Buddha, the awakened one. So. Uh, it's more of a of a idealized version of it. Emptiness seems to me more about the path quality of seeing that thing that things are empty of what you are thinking that they are. So anytime you think something is anything, it's empty of that. So uh, over time, you will eventually understand, no guarantee, that you will eventually understand that things are empty of other. There is no there isn't anything else. No other. <clears throat> this is a, not something I invented. It's something that is obvious. And this is uh, to use ancient text texts to back up or reify, if you need that. What what it, what it is I talk about all all the time. Um, read the any of the Tathagata Garba or. Uh, Tathagatagarbha uh, literature, uh, Ratna Gotra Vibhaga or Uttaratanta and, uh, and other ones, which is what Chazan is going to talk about probably this weekend. Less. Further questions? 
we're still off the air. Sounds like the audio is fine. It might just be the video. Hmm. Well, that's good. The reactivity around the picking and choosing or the externalizing of it, is there um, any value in not externalizing? Say more. Uh, I guess that. I know that when I get triggered, I'm just wondering if it's better to not let people know. I think that's variable. It depends on the person, depends on the situation. There are times, but it should come out of the awareness rather than some kind of a, a discursiveness about evaluating should I or shouldn't I, or it was better if I say this. Anytime you're tagging along behind anything that's showing up with some kind of a description or some kind of a, a thought balloon or anything, just stop. Don't do anything. Because if it's coming out of that, then there's some kind of, albeit um, invisible or very, very subtle, some kind of wanting things to be different than they are, which we perpetuate and we justify or validate by the thought process that tags along behind to validate what we're doing. More? Good question. Uh, is there something... Is there a way not to be offended by the teacher, or is there anything wrong with being offended if by I'm the not teacher? Offending you, then I'm not doing the job. When the teacher does offend the student, oh. it seems like that could be a pretty dangerous. There could be a fork there. Um, what's the best way to work with that negativity that appears to be coming from the teacher? Take it as a teaching. If you're a student of the Dharma, if you're a student of mine, then take it as a teaching. I may not be intending to, you know, see, I see something you're doing and you need to be, uh, you know, mistreated or insulted or something like that. It's just, it just happens spontaneously in the moment. I can't do anything. There's nothing I can do. I don't know anything. I don't know how to do anything. I don't understand anything. So I could say, what are you guys doing here anyway? Rhetorical. So it's, it's, it's a difficult thing to talk about because if there is a person who's teaching and there's a person who's in, endeavoring to learn this uh, the spiritual path, not a mundane path, but a spiritual path, then you're probably going to be roughed up a little in some way. Maybe not all the time. But some, I certainly was by both of my teachers in different ways. I don't know if there's any intention to, to do that, but I tend to, somebody's a close student of mine, I tend to offend them in different ways. I'm not intending to hurt anyone, be mean to anyone. I don't want to do that. On the other hand, the whole thing has to be a genuine situation. And if, if it is, then it's not separate. There's no two separate beings there. The teaching person sees that. The student probably does not. Go ahead. Why is that abrasion so important? Because it points out the self-centeredness, which is hard to see. If you have pride, it's very hard to see pride just on your own because it just feels like you. And you're, there's a kind of an entitlement. You're just entitled to a certain kind of thing. The teacher comes along and say, and goes, 
and maybe not might not do anymore. Might not even particularly say you need to get rid of anything, but you might want to be aware of this that you're pretty flashy. Or you might not want to be aware that you're, the kind of pride that is manifesting is the kind that wants to go down under the surface and you know not show up as important. That's just another kind of pride, hiding out. Just one of the aspects of the seventh consciousness. More? I was wondering if, <laughs> if it's ever appropriate within the context of a relationship with a teacher to... I don't know if the word correct would be appropriate, but to bring something to the teacher's attention that does seem to be, um, I, I don't know, wrong. Um, wrong or out of line or. or the teacher's doing a bad thing. Yes. I don't know. Try it out. There's more room for questions there. I don't know what you should do. You should do what you need to do. I mean, the, the teacher is not uh, omnipresent, omnipotent. The teacher is a human being like any, like the Buddha was not. A, some people haven't studied it think the Buddha presented himself as some kind of deity. A lot of people treated him like some kind of deity. He was someone that understood something and shared it with others. And it was a very simple truth. Everything is dependently risen. There's no there's no solid being in the skandhas. Uh, impermanent. Everything is impermanent. Nothing lasts. Everything is uh, uh, dissatisfied or suffering or having difficulty on some level all the time. Not not half the time. And quite often that's blocked out. And also that there's no solid being anywhere. There's no individual anywhere it just intensely looks like it and we impute or gather that and cling to that through uh self-love pride uh self just being infatuated with being a, an apparent separate being but it doesn't last so um, the, when when the body mind complex goes back into the the five elements or you could say the six elements um that's when you'll know whether you're awake or not because if you're identified with that, you're going to, probably going to be uh, at least afraid, if not terrified. And if you're awake, you know that uh, you can't go anywhere because you're, you're not identified with anything in particular. And the student, they're studying the Buddha Dharma, they're endeavoring to understand that deep teaching of uh, dependent origination. So, not that the teacher might not put too much salt in the coffee. Any salt in the coffee is probably too much. You can correct the teacher, of course. Is that, I feel like you're asking me something else. Like I'm just wondering to what degree should it just be the attitude that everything the teacher does is a teaching, and, and if there is a... If, okay, um, stop there. I didn't say everything the teacher does is a teaching. I said you should treat it that way. I think that's not what I said. You did. So if you treat everything that the teacher does as a teaching, does that mean you would never interject? That would be, that would also be dependent. You may and you may not. But you should do that to see what happens. 
And if you do that, you'll find out if you if you have a true teacher or not, if you have a charlatan. And each teacher, there's no there's no way. Some teachers will cave. Some teachers will come back uh, with a blowtorch. Depends on who you are, who the teacher is. There's no formula. There's no standard for that, because the teacher is and the student are operating in in dependent origination. Teacher doesn't step outside of dependent origination. You can't teach if you do that. But you might have to get outside of it to see what it is and then come back into it to be able to teach. So that's why some teachers are outlandish. Some people, some teachers are pussycats. Some teachers are puppy dogs. And some teachers are tigers. Just dependently or risen. Well, what does it mean to uh, treat everything as a teaching? It's just about being a student. When some, when things come and go, when things arise that are difficult, rather than saying that's wrong, it shouldn't happen, they shouldn't treat me this way. I mean, that go might go without saying. Uh, relative truth might still be operating there, and you can don't have to ignore that and say it's not that. Just say. How, you know, how, um, I don't want us to go too far to elaborate and write a stage play here, but like when something arises that's painful, that's hurting your feelings or someone has insulted you or something like that, you could actually look at the me feeling and saying, is that, is there actually someone there that can possibly be hurt by anything? Is who I really am, is it possible to really offend or hurt that one? You could ask that question, take it as a teaching not as information so much, but as a, as a something happens and then there is a reaction. And that reaction is the first uh, level of picking and choosing. Uh, I don't like it or I like it or it's good or it's bad or even converting it. Saying it's a teaching might be too much. Can you disagree with something and still continue to be a student? You mean like the teacher? Yeah. <laughs> As I've said, I don't want followers. I don't want people to do everything I say. I mean, I say stuff and people agree that people go lots of different directionals. But as I've said, this is not a cult. Leave any time. There's no membership. There's no, no requirements other than if you're going to live here, you need to follow the forms, observe the forms that are here. And even then, there's still the dependent origination with our own body and there's not the military. You know, some people don't feel well. If you don't feel well, stay home. It's not wrong. It seems like that's the way it's done here, wouldn't you say? Or is there, am I missing something? Does any, anyone feel like they're in a prison who lives here? <laughs> okay, I guess not. More, or did I miss? Did I misunderstand your question? So, I mean, to, to make a simple story about it, if, I don't know. I can't come up with. You and I have had conversations before where, where you, where I've said, I think we should do this, and you said, I think this other way would be better. And I, I don't think I'm always insisting on what I say, or, or maybe I am. Does it seem like that? I don't know. You don't have to let me off the hook necessarily, but. 
I don't know. Try to try to uh, uh, watch what's happening without getting too. Um, stuck on my ideas, but they're there. I'm opinionated too. More? Not yet. Thank you. Other questions? Yeah. Juju. A couple more questions online. Uh, Benjamin asks from LA, um, just staying as you are or nothing special is pride? Probably. Yeah. Amazing that you can do that. Well, maintain anything. You maintain just be who you are or just stay in the present moment. Horseshit. How does he say? <laughs> he says, is he <laughs> to your prison question, he says, I feel like I live in a prison and I have my own apartment in LA. <laughs> a person prison. Person prison. <laughs> um, Jessica has a question. Yes. If we are confused about something that we don't know how to describe in words, how can we ask the teacher about it? That's, that's very, you can't say it in words. I, I said just uh, continue to practice, train the mind, connect with the Sangha, participate in the study groups. One of the most important places for learning or awareness is connecting with other people that are dealing with the same teaching, coming from a different set of conditioning, a different quality of the culture, or different families, the different causes and conditions are extremely elaborate. Come together with somebody else and actually seeing the way someone's studying, say, the five dharmas, the Lankavatara Sutra, the way, the way different people handle that. I'm deliberately confusing when I talk about the last two of the three, or the seven dharma, or the five dharmas. How many are there? Five? <laughs> I'm confused, but, but because people, are, people need to contemplate that rather than have it explained to them. So, Jessica, that's our Jessica that comes here, yeah. So, not that we own Jessica, <laughs> sorry, but Jessica. Uh, I would say continue to practice face the wall, and especially to you, Jessica, uh, uh, study with the Sangha. Very important to study the material, as I've said probably dozens of times. You don't have to uh, understand. Uh, having to understand, that's, that's Western style of thinking, testing, and grading and getting uh, graduate degrees. I'm not interested in that. So what I am interested in is helping you see the fundamental truth of who you are and what this is. Who you are, subjectivity, what this is, objectivity. Not separate. They certainly look separate. It's vivid. It's in Cinemascope, Technicolor, and what's that other one? 3D. 3D. All right. <laughs> 3D. We're all 3D printers. Go ahead. You said that we can't find Buddha nature, but you encourage us to find out who we are. So mm -hmm. how do we do that? Sit down, hold still, watch what moves until it doesn't. And then watch what keeps moving after nothing moves. 
So, but in, it's just a way of talking about it. We have to use concepts, and concepts are what they're very—they're built on a polarity or opposition. Talking, not talking. Concepts, no concepts. And then the concepts start, you know, right and wrong, up and down, back and forth. Awakening, uh, Buddha nature, sentient beings, contrast, contrast. So bring the mind into that. And ego doesn't want to go there. It needs to have a reference point, and it will try to turn that into its own credential for so it can keep on going, so it can be included in the grand ceremony of awakening, which is uh, it will soon find, uh, as Trungpa Rinpoche used to say, that it would be more like its funeral even though it's not real, so it's not even a funeral. Uh, Tammy, I think from the west side of the state, asks, if I say I feel foolish or like I'm on the edge of constant confusion, are those thoughts my ego? Yeah, probably, but it doesn't, doesn't matter. Just because you can think, oh, that's just egotistical. That's uh, not particularly helpful. Every thought is egotistical. Every emotion, every thought, anything that arises is about me and my stuff, my world, my ideas, my even my great compassion and love for the world. So, but what is important, what is important there is to just, just see it, just witness it. Don't add on the name ego. Don't add, don't take away the name ego. Don't do nothing with it. Let it be there. It's just a pile of feathers anyway. Have you been eating feathers again? <laughs> That's where that came from. <laughs> the feather story. Okay, we won't talk about that. So, do you have a question? If anger is arising, is that is that fueling the self in one of the, I can't remember the names of the four, self-delusion, self-love, self-pride, is that fueling it in one of those particular ways? It, it may be. It may be so good. It may be, but the idea there is just to observe that and don't interrupt it. Don't try to modify your ego, uh, self-centeredness, ego. will if it can find some way to join in the repair crew, to join in the healing force of love. You know what I'm talking about. All of you do. It's just, it's like, it's like an orange. <laughs> Who needs them? <laughs> no, it's not like an orange. No fruit, no fruit insults. But it's it's like don't don't go into the thing with some kind of idea necessarily. Don't do anything with it. Just watch it. And and what you need to see will show up, and what you what it isn't time for you to see will still stay behind the curtains. What comes on stage, just just watch the play. Just watch the play. Stay in the front row. Just watch the play. Then you might find your awareness consciousness dissolving into one of the characters or situations. And then, then through the sitting practice of meditation, through stretching the awareness and just insisting on seeing this, on seeing this symmetrical posture with the body is the only thing you have much to say about is the position of the body. You can't position the mind. It's, uh, it's not, it doesn't have that nature, but it's not separate from the body. So therefore, this is your entrance to working with the mind, this one. Or this one. I think this, I prefer this, but that would be picking and choosing, wouldn't it? Or, if anger is arising, is that evidence that we've been picking and choosing? No, it's a, a evidence that you're aware. If you're a practitioner, if, it's, if anger is arising in someone that has no idea how to work with the mind in a 
you could say with upaya or skillful means, but it's trying to uh, is just trying to stop the anger, which is not very skillful. Don't go to war with war. The big the big picture of that is this country starts rattling their swords, and the other country starts rattling their swords. Sword rattling has been going on since the humans arrived here. So just observe as much as you can, and, and let other people put, uh, accuse you or impute or say, well, you're a pacifist or or you're not helping. We need to we need to stop the the Lithuanians from invading uh, Jersey. You know, it's a, you know, it's just come on. You know, we've been we've done this over and over and over. We believe the things, same things, just like the war between the North and the South. You know, it's the, the North and South Korea, the North and the people carrying uh, flags of stars and bars, stars and stripes. Just symbols of uh, aggression and, and intense ego formation that's uh, not observed. And if you want to work with the negativity, so-called, have to really look at it a long time. We, we don't want to start doing uh, open heart surgery on something that we don't even know what's in there. You need to really understand maybe you know, a very imperfect metaphor, but it's like that. Don't work on something and don't go out into the world so-called society and with your, even though you're correct and going against this person or that person because of their difficulty or the, the system. But if you haven't, if you haven't, uh, if you haven't really understood your own aggression, maybe not gotten rid of it, but you're very aware of your own aggression. So when you go out, you can feel that start to, that start to vibrate because other people's aggression will, will trigger your aggression. And the next thing you can't tell whose aggression is whose, and usually what the self-centered mind does is project that aggression onto the other and fight with them. I'm, you know, because they're the person who's giving, who's having the, uh, needs to be stopped. How do we keep watching the stage play when it's embarrassing? Uh, just keep returning to it. If it gets too difficult, then don't torture yourself. Walk away. Have an orange <laughs> or have some feathers. <laughs> yeah, just don't, don't, you know, the, the, in the Zen tradition, they quite, it's kind of a macho thing. That's kind of, kind of a carryover, I'm not accusing the Japanese of anything. It's a wonderful society out there. Culture, their arts are absolutely incredible. So I'm just saying, but they're a, kind of a macho, you know, military kind of thing developed around uh, everything over there and, and seemed to drop right into uh, Soto uh, and uh, Rinzai Buddhism, especially, and it's not that it's wrong. It's just it's just actually you don't really need to be mean to people. I mean, deliberately come in and just be rude. It's not going to help to do that to people as as some kind of a form. Or this is only here as a as a threat. It's not very threatening. It's there because it's part of the tradition, but it's, you know, it's not something that's necessarily going to be used. Yes. Uh, Tammy has a couple more comments and questions. Yes. Uh, she said, if I say I feel foolish or like I'm on the edge of constant confusion, are those thoughts my egos, are my ego and are feelings connected to ego or separate or what? I'm specifically talking about listening to you. Yeah, it's a, if you're finding anything, then that's a, that's an aspect of division or separation 
or or ego or objectivity, some kind of objectivity that is set up as a polarity. Please don't get rid of it. You don't have to get rid of anything. You don't have, don't get rid of anything, anybody. You know, and if you if you want to practice, then include everything. Just keep keep it here. You're going to need it. You're going to need your understanding about everything. Well, make friends this direction. Make friends this direction. And uh, don't believe your thoughts. Don't disbelieve your thoughts. Don't look away. Simple situation. And as far as uh, Tammy, your situation just uh, sounds like you're doing fine. Just train your mind. Everything that's happening there is just um, phenomena just comes and goes and comes and goes. And we have attributions about it. Some things need, be, need to be more important or seem to be more important or something we need to deal with. Um, probably not. A couple more questions from online. Mm -hmm. uh, Jessica says, if you don't own me, who does? Benjamin from LA says or asks, how do you cut through the hallucinations of self that are subjectively real and even have functions and mechanisms supporting them? Spend a lot of time on the cushion looking at the wall and look at that structure, the very structure. Write that out on, a, on an index card so you've got that a nice crisp representation in words of that very conceptual outlay of the question. Put it down in front of you and spend about four hours looking at the wall. Take a bathroom break if you need to. Get some tea. Stay warm. Well, not out there. Stay cool. And then uh, so at some point in there, just sit, just turn your, your observation, your reception of looking at the wall, of looking at the mind coming and going and coming and going. It's the point you've even forgot there's a card laying in front of you. You might be... You might be thinking about your dog that uh, ran away to Ventura. I'd be surprised if that happened. And so then occasionally just, just turn the whole thing around and look down, read that to yourself, contemplate it for maybe five or 10 minutes, not very long. Concepts go right into the concepts as far as you can. Look at those concepts, turn them this way, turn them that way, contemplate, contemplate, contemplate. Put it down, turn the card over, go back to the wall for another couple of hours. You asked, I told you, do what you want to do. Another question mm -hmm. from Benjamin, uh, from elsewhere, different Benjamin. What city? I don't know. What's the last name? Overthought. Hmm. Okay, if, go ahead. If we know we have bad karma waiting for us, can we still attain enlightenment? Yes, we all have bad karma. There isn't anything bad karma. <laughs> Never heard that before? <laughs> Anybody had any good karma lately? <laughs> yeah, it's the very nature of karma is, is plus and minus, plus and minus. So there's always a mixture. Uh, everything is uh, dependently risen. One of the, one of the three, uh, three forms of suffering, the pain of pain and uh, the pain of alternation. Uh, these things get better and they get worse. They get better and they get worse. So, but yes, you can't attain enlightenment without karma. And uh, the, the Buddha, if he'd had, he had pretty good karma. It's a good example. He was born a king or born a prince and he had a kingdom uh, and, and his father wanted him to be a, a Chakravartin or a world emperor or whatever. 
and uh, he decided to, uh, he saw sickness, aging, and death, and he saw uh, uh, a mendicant sannyasin or a, a renunciate, and he decided to go that direction to deal with uh, his uh, shock at seeing sickness, aging, and death. So he even stepped into his karma, he didn't run away from it necessarily. So to direct to responses, well, certainly you can. You can attain enlightenment. Question from Gary up north. Yes. You said awareness is receiving, not thinking. Is yeah, thinking then an aspect of this receiving? Yeah. You, know, you, re you receive uh, sounds. You receive uh, sights. What's the other one? Smell, taste, touch. Yeah. Let's see. Touch. And what's the other one? Thinking. That's what he was asking about, wasn't it? I knew we'd get around to that. Yeah, you receive everything. You don't generate any of those. There's no generator behind anything. There's no self in the skandhas, and there's no thinker behind the thoughts. If you think there is, what do you think I'm going to say? You're wrong. Or what's that other one I sometimes say? Uh, nope. Um, be another one. You're dreaming. Huh? You're dreaming. Yeah, you're dreaming. Use that one. If you think you're, yeah, if you think, yeah. That one. What he said. Unreal thoughts are, are there, they're vivid, and they're, they're, they're uh, shaped, and they're, they're crunchy on one end and soft on the other, and they have all kinds of elaborations around them and little stories and little post-it notes all over around the thought patterns, but they are fundamentally unreal. This doesn't mean they're not there, so don't think they're going to go puff, puff and up in a cloud of pink smoke. They're, they're, the, the very unreality of it is what's so amazing like a lucid dream that's so real and then you wake up and it's just amazing it's just, it was so real it just tasted like buttermilk and it was nothing gone this, the nature of consciousness is so powerful this uh, uh the consciousness buddha nature and don't believe anything i say i'm not asking you to believe it listen consider it you know and then do whatever you want to do. But the very nature of Tathagatagarbha, the Dharmata, uh, is, is such that the body-mind complex is an afterthought. This is extra. This just happens to be fall down here on a big ball of dirt in the middle of nowhere, and then some consciousness followed it down. I better come down with you and make sure you fall into a volcano. Or somebody throws you in one. Any further questions? Danny? Is there, or how do we dig up that pride that's just below the surface? Good question. So um, you can use the word pride a little bit, but I, I would just go below the surface and see what you can find there rather than look for uh, something that has a label pride on it because it doesn't have that label. It only, after you see it, only labor, late, later you might realize that's, that's pride. That, that's actually me thinking I'm pretty cool or, or I am some have some kind of entitlement to something. 
that I'm just a shade better than everything every everybody else. It's a, it's a it's a really interesting area, and of all the different forms, the three different four different forms in the that are uh, separated out in the seven consciousness or the the clash uh, mind, uh, that's that's a difficult one to see. How can we work together as a community when we're all dealing with pride? Just be aware of the pride as much as you can. I have it, I have it, but I see it in my face all the time. Yes. We notice that there's some kind of trend, a particular trigger that brings up something that doesn't normally come up. Is it helpful to intentionally go into that? Don't do the intentional part, no. Just train your mind and study. And notice that, notice that this, that sh- this showed up because of this, something wiggled over here. Someone came into the room and someone said something, and then something came up that was your mind, your consciousness, because this person said or did something that caused you to feel a different way or feel put upon or feel insulted or feel like somebody's taking your inventory, etc. So just observe it. Do nothing with it. If you just observe it and do nothing with it, then it becomes a teaching. And it's a teaching in that that since you're not doing anything with it, uh, the conclusion that you never can come to that will come to itself is uh, not separate, but it takes a while. If you go anywhere else with it, whatever happens, don't abandon it. Whatever happens, don't accept it. Don't reject it. it takes a while to, do, to be able to do this. And it seems to take a lot of um, formless meditation. So on the path, do we not necessarily need to be aware of all of our things under the radar? At least five or six of them. You only got three. So you can't, if it's under the radar, it's that's just a metaphor for saying it's kind of out, pretty much out of sight. It's hard to detect it or see it. So just a way of talking about it. But I wouldn't worry too much about trying to keep track of everything. Just watch what moves. If the mind is moving, uh, as it says in Ancient Zen tradition, is the flag moving or is your mind moving? Neither one are moving. How is confidence different from pride? Well, relative confidence is, is pride. Uh, the other kind of confidence is uh, sometimes talked about as uh, unconditional confidence that doesn't is not based on causes and conditions, and that kind of confidence is only looks like confidence to others. To the one who is functioning in that way, it doesn't look like anything. It doesn't. It's fairly invisible. I mean, it may show up a little bit, but it can't get a foothold because there's no there's no credit, there's no praise, no blame happening in that in that dimension. More about that? I left your your question a little bit to elaborate as far as the comparison between those two. Any more questions?
Yes. Kozan has a question. Okay. She asks, you sometimes say, don't trust me, trust yourself. If we are endeavoring to give the teacher the benefit of the doubt, and at the same time, it looks like the student and teacher see things differently, how can we trust ourselves and see what we need to see? Do what the teacher says in your case. Everybody else might do something different. Did I answer your question? So it's not about figuring things out. It's about uh, not jumping to any conclusion about anything. It's very, very subtle. When something happens, every one of us does this in a different way. And as soon as you move out of receiving what's happening into what you think you're receiving, you've actually abandoned the very nature of dependent origination and you're ignoring dependent origination. To understand what dependent origination is deeply, it will not be thoughts about it. If you have thoughts about it, you have a ways to go because you are not separate from dependent origination. It's not another thing. It's just a dependent origination. So the whole right and wrong, correct, incorrect is it's there and we need to look at it or reflect on it. But less is better. Take your time. Probably got a few years left. And if you don't, if you don't do it in this lifetime, you'll do it in the next, perhaps, if you're born as a human being. Yes, sir. How can we give dependent origination permission to teach us? So you don't need to necessarily give it permission. Just don't look away from it into some kind of conclusion. When you conclude, you've actually, it's just the very nature of the self-centered mind of one who thinks they are a being separate from everything else who can win or lose, all the imputations around that. So it's about looking at the nature of, of the me feeling or I feeling. Look at that and look at the nature of, of the, the projection of the imputation that there is other subject, object, that that is something that's just, this is true. Not necessarily. Look closely at that. So that that's by looking at that, that's when you're beginning to open up to the, the fundamental teaching, which is a strong concept that's pointing to something that is not particularly conceptual at all. Dependent origination. Nothing comes from its own side as an individual. Everything is dependently arisen. Everything is dependent on everything else. Uh, a good way to see that uh, in a representational way or in, a, in an expression of human, human being expression other than in a, a great teacher, no matter what the lineage or what their culture, um, in a sage is to see it in a work of art. Limited, but still some people devote their whole time to sound, devote their whole time to images. Uh, there's some incredible visual images that are a... Uh, uh, a, a you could say a representation of dependent origination because you can't take anything out of it or it will collapse. You take a picture, the picture Guernica by Pablo Picasso painted uh, back in the late 1930s, uh, which is mainly blacks, whites, blacks, whites, and grays. And if you take something out of there, the whole thing doesn't work quite as well. It doesn't, doesn't have the, uh, equilibrium or the unification that it has otherwise. 
similar with music compositions and other pieces of art, poems. They're, they're together in such a way they have a, a kind of unity to them. To, but it's still art. I mean, it's still we're, we're expressing something. Dependent origination means you can't find anything separate. You can't find separate things. Further question about that? It's a good question. All your questions are good. Except for that one about three weeks ago. Yes. A couple more questions. One more. Jessica asks, is it self-centered picking and choosing to want to meditate more? <laughs> nope. No. And, and to address it more directly, it doesn't matter. You don't have to look for We're all self-centered. I'm self-centered. If I weren't self-centered, I couldn't talk about this. I couldn't teach this unless I was what I'm talking to you about. I'm completely full of myself. What's different? Not real. There isn't anyone here. There's no solid being here. Just a bunch of causes and conditions that get together and have a mouth. It's a good thing. Don't believe what I say. So yes, meditate. Set aside time, schedule yourself, meditate by all means. Of all the practices we do, that seems to be the one that you, you, can, you can do somewhat without the conceptual things because we do so much talking anyway. But that, that's sitting down, holding still, and just letting letting your whole, all of the mental qualities, all of the coming and going, the mentation, the analysis, uh, thinking, remembering, uh, elaborating on it, just don't do anything with it. Don't try to get to be some other kind of meditator. Just be genuine. Sit down, hold still, be genuine. Incredible, uh, sit in a symmetrical posture. Body and mind are not two different things. If you want to train the mind, then start with the body. Hold still, even if only for nine minutes. And then shift or move around and then sit still again for three minutes. And keep doing that or sit still for the, an hour again, but don't torture yourself. Don't make it painful. That's a misunderstanding. Not thinking you have to be here and hold still no matter how much your knees hurt. It's just foolish. I'm not making anybody wrong, just making them foolish. I'm sure everybody will give me, cut me a little slack on that. I'm so old. Very good. Thank you so much. We'll stand and dedicate the marriage to the back of our red champ books. I'd like to remind everybody about the donation boxes in the hallway. We also accept your generous contributions online through PayPal or debit and credit cards. And always appreciate your financial support. Thank you. May the merit of this penetrate into all places so that we and every sentient being together can realize the Buddha's way.
Sangha, families, friends, and visitors. Heal everyone who is unhappy, sick, or suffering, and fill them with life. 